The country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia? 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Hello and welcome to Talking Indonesia. I'm Gemma Purdy from the Australia Indonesia Centre. Today's topic is the Omnibus Law, otherwise known as the Job Creation Law. Since early October, Protests have been taking place on the streets of Jakarta and other cities across Indonesia against the new omnibus laws on job creation. The 1,000-plus page law includes 186 articles and revises 77 previous laws, and yet took a relatively short period of time, just over a year, to be passed into law. The law is seen as fulfilling Jokowi's commitment to big business to reduce red tape but its critics, including legal scholars, are worried about the lack of transparency around the drafting and the promulgation of the law itself. So what is in the omnibus law and why has Joko Widodo made it a priority? Who wins and who loses? And what does the process tell us about Jokowi's government, its priorities and values? To explore these questions and more, I'm joined by Rafika Kurata Ayun from the Centre of Indonesian Law, Islam and Society in the Melbourne Law School. Hi Rafika, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Indonesia. Hi Gemma, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Now Rafika, what is this omnibus law that we're hearing about, otherwise known as the Job Creations Law, which was recently passed by Indonesia's parliament and signed into law by President Joko Widodo? What does the law include? And tell us why they took an omnibus approach here. Okay, well, this law is an ambitious law in terms of its scope and the rush process to pass the legislations. It consists of 1,187 pages, revising 79 laws, covering 11 clusters, and all was done less than a year. So the bill was proposed by the president, Joko Widodo, last year. And it aims to create investment opportunities by generating more flexible rules, particularly in dealing with labor issues. Uh, the government claims that the law will create more job opportunities by streamlining business licensing and many other easiness for investment. Some others law are manpower law, special planning law, environment law, forestry law, and so on. And the articles from those laws are partially revised or revoked, and new articles were also added. Well, uh, many have argued that such revisions will create much more problems than those found in the existing laws. And I will take one example in labor issues, specific time employment agreement or PKWT, Perjanjian Kerja Waktu Tertentu, is a big problem for Indonesian workers. However, the 2003 law on manpower still regulates the maximum of two years for the scheme. In the omnibus law, this requirement was deleted, so it is up to the employee to determine the period of agreement and if the omnibus law, as mentioned in its consideration sections, aims to protecting the workers' rights, why does it delete the maximum period of the 
PKWT. And there are still many other problems here in this law, environmental issues, centralistic characters, and so on. And why the omnibus approach here? So the government claims that this approach is ideal to reconcile the existing overlapping laws related to business permits. This approach is also considered by the government could streamline the business licensing issues so it will prevent corruption. But this claim is arguable. Many researchers have shown that the law will make the situation more complicated than before. For example, it requires more peraturan pelaksana or implementing regulation to make some articles work. Legal experts also highlighted that the omnibus approach has never been recognized in the Indonesian legal tradition since law number 12 of 2011 on lawmaking doesn't regulate this kind of method. So in spite of this, even if using omnibus approach is acceptable, making such a huge and complex regulation in a rush has become a potential for smuggling contentious articles like, you know, Uh, Trojan horse strategy by using its complexity, this law hides many problematic articles. Well, people find it difficult to channel their aspirations because the issues are too wide and in many cases, omnibus approach is chosen just to hasten the passing. So this is far from good legislation making. Yeah, indeed. So it's such a short time, as you say, for consideration of such a huge amount of laws, changes to existing laws, introduction of new laws. Do you have any insight into why Jokowi has made this such a priority for his second term? Yeah, it is obvious that Jokowi has nothing to lose of ignoring public criticism in his second term. And issuing such a contentious law amid the COVID-19 outbreak and in such an obvious rush is more likely a trick to reduce public protests. Police, for example, uses the narrative of demonstration are not granted permission. Although we know that demonstration is a constitutional right, part of freedom of expression, and it only needs to notify the police, doesn't need permission from them. So I think it is a picture of how democratic institutions and legal instruments are easily manipulated for elite interests. And it is actually not a surprise. Jokowi had plainly said about his interest of doing some breakthrough in front of leading businessmen last year. He said, because this is my last term, I have nothing to lose. He said like that. The thing is, the breakthrough includes destroying the achievements of legal and institutional reforms in Indonesia, further degrading the already weakened democracy. Extraordinary, really, when you consider it. And so has it been received well by the business community? Yeah, it looks like a business community will welcome the law so far. They are also involved in formulating the bill. So tell us a little bit, if we go back, and just tell us a little bit about that process, the drafting, the formulation. Was it an open, transparent, fully consultative process? I have done a research with Gilmugi since last year about how the omnibus law formulated 
and how the rule of law has been manipulated by anti-democratic forces. So we know that the poor process in this. So some experts noticed that the law is an authoritarian law, reckless law, elitist law. So it is that formal aspect of lawmaking that requires public participation and transparency that has become a concern. And this is indeed a problem since the beginning of the drafting process, as I mentioned before. And even the expert involved in the drafting should sign an agreement to not disclose any information about the bill. We can access the draft only after it was deliberated in the uh, House of Representatives. But the final draft was never cleared to public until Jokowi signed it on to November. There are at least five persons, if I'm not mistaken, of this draft spreading after the passing by DPR on 5 October. And it's clearly against the law that there are no exact version of the draft. And the other critics about this law is about the substance. So there are so many problematic issues that actually mess up legal order. For example, uh, environmental law has philosophy to protect environment and to support sustainable development. But in this omnibus law, this philosophy will be totally ignored. And as a result, criminal penalties for business violating environmental protection will become much lighter. And so, Mm. yeah, it's from the procedures and from the substance, there is problematic in process. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And one of the things that the media have highlighted amongst many of these things that you've noted is the simple fact that the draft kept changing number of pages, that the actual scale <laughs> of it was suspiciously growing or reducing each time. And whilst that was explained by, what was it, a formatting issue, there were suspicions, as you've pointed out. Indeed, there were things that were omitted and added after the fact. So what has been the response? Tell us a little bit about, you know, the response from civil society, from from other lawmakers. So far, most of civil society elements are against this law. Workers, students, activists, even religious leaders also oppose this law. And those who are in alliance for protesting the law and demanding Jokowi to release government regulation in lieu or perpu to revoke the law. And workers and student protests were relatively massive around October, I think. Although police were still repressive to the protesters. Not only the student and workers, even journalists were also arrested by the police during the demonstration. So there is also criticism from hundreds of academics that signed petition to reject this law. And to response, the government's claim that most people know nothing about the law. Academic Alliance has organized uh, online lecture series called Lessons with People or Kuliah Bersama Rakyat. And every single day with the tagline, everyday reading omnibus law. So this is actually a very interesting way of academic counters the government narrative that claims that those who criticize omnibus law have never read the law and don't understand the law. But unfortunately, alliances established by the workers, students, activists, and academics are mostly not powerful enough to challenge the elites. I won't say all advocacies that has been done is pointless since at least this momentum has illustrated what is actually happening in this country. But it is also important to note that the recent situations show that 
the anti-democratic elites are more consolidated while the challenges to them are more fragmented, partly as a result of uh, increasing polarization since the case of Ahok in 2016, 2017. And so what about within the DPR itself, which obviously passed this law, was there any dissent from political parties themselves? Yeah, well, when the omnibus law passed, uh, there are resistance from two political parties, from Prosperous Justice Party, PKS, and uh, Democratic Party, Partai Democrat. But I think we cannot rely on the position in House of Representatives. Most people in uh, DPR have connection with business elites. And for example, in uh, research from JATAM, uh, civil societies that found legislat- uh, legislatures are affiliated to mining companies in processing and this law. So I think it is also the answer for whose interest the law is created. Yeah, it's related to big business instead of the small, medium business. Although the the government keeps saying the narrative, this uh, omnibus law will protect workers and will help the small and medium business. But I think it's more to big business, as you can see, the law that revises about mining law, forestry law, environmental law. Yeah, I noted that as well that Jokowi has continued to say that in fact it improves the welfare and protection for workers and yet the unions as you noted are leading some of this protest what are the options now legally to oppose this law well the most popular demand from the protest is asking Jokowi to issue purple but we see there are no clue of that possibility as Jokowi himself initiated this law and petitions to propose a judicial review to constitutional court have also been submitted by some people. It is worth to try, but uh, this option is problematic since philosophically it can be interpreted that the petitioners recognize the legality of the law. That is also the government's tactic actually, because uh, they suggest if people are not satisfied with this law, just leave it to the constitutional court as if this court is a rubbish bin for any poor laws. And, And more importantly, The revision of the constitutional court law has been passed last August. This new constitutional court law gives privileges to the sitting judges as they will continue to hold their position longer than before. And it could uh, secure the maneuver to manipulate the laws at least until 2024. And yesterday, just yesterday, Jokowi gave honorary medals Bintang Mahaputra to six constitutional court judges. And previously in January this year, Jokowi also asked the constitutional court to secure the omnibus law. This all part of systematic attempts, I will say, to distract constitutional court, like what Jokowi did to KPK to secure the way for business interests. All legal recourses have been blocked systematically by anti-democratic elite. Just before you go on, you mentioned the Kapika, the Anti-Corruption Commission. Can you talk a little bit about that and what happened with the Kapika last year? It's part of the same story, isn't it? Yes, and it has been signalled by Jokowi when he sent his inauguration speech after being elected for the second term last year. He never mentioned law enforcement and human rights protection in his speech The thing is, he goes beyond ignoring law enforcement. 
he deteriorated laws and democratic institution. And the best example is last year's revision of the KPK law. He himself, who also initiated this revision to weaken the KPK, also for the same motives for facilitating business interests. And this revision is also contentious and has sparked mass protests because KPK is the most trusted public institutions and its power is weakened by these revisions by restricting the conduct wiretaps and searches and seizures and creating an oversight board to monitor its activities and so on. And there were five casualties from student protesters during the rallies to reject KPK law revision. But Jokowi has never released Perpu uh, regulation in law as demanded by civil societies. And judicial review to constitutional court to petition KPK law was also rejected. So when people are asking Jokowi to release a Perpu to revoke omnibus law, they actually need to learn from last year experience, I guess. And it's not. So what is the status of the KPK now? How has it been weakened? Yeah, so far we cannot see any progress compared to previous KPK. And we'll see that there are many controversies. And we also find it there were no more, how do you call it, operasi tangkap tangan. So the arrests and prosecutions have really slowed down. Exactly, yeah. Are there other examples where there are new laws being introduced or proposed that have seen this kind of social response? Yeah, uh, we see that during the COVID-19, the government and the House of Representatives tried to exploit the crisis to hasten the deliberation of many controversial proposed laws. And it's actually can be seen from how the constitutional court law and then mining law and also criminal code bill also continues to deliberate it Mm -hmm. but other important laws like sexual violence bill this bill is still not deliberated because the house of representatives say that the bill was complicated and also other laws like (laughs) domestic worker protection also be delayed so yeah interesting isn't it the there's so many complications in an, a law that is protecting women is anti-sexual violence and yet they can get through such a huge omnibus law on job creation very interesting so what do you think that this whole process this picture that you're painting for us where there is disregard for academic comment legal scholars commentary the unions who represent the people who are actually impacted by this legislation. What does it tell us about this government, its values, its priorities? Yeah, from the omnibus law itself, we see that tendencies how the authorities respond to the public criticism, such as a repressive approach from the police in the demonstration and disinformation about the law and the protests and the undermining criticism as hoaxes. And government also claims that the people has not read yet and people know nothing, and the government assembles all power to suppress people mobilization. For example, 
the Directorate General from Ministry of Education issued a letter to ask university to prevent demonstration, student demonstration. So what I'm going to say is that the issuance of many problematic laws is part of the way anti-democratic elites consolidate their power to hijack democratic institution and the rule of law for their own interests. And by having legal umbrella like omnibus law, the rent-seeking practices can be justified as legal and not against the law because there is a law that legitimates their actions. Well, Jokowi may keep repeating his goal of attracting investment as if this omnibus law opens the way for more liberal business environment equipped with legal certainties. But observing his steps so far, I would like to say that this is like a roll-out red carpet for the existing rent-seeking economy rather than market economy. We lost many achievements of reformasi. Unfortunately, it seemed that the destruction of legal and democratic institutions would be normalized since anti-democratic powers have become stronger than before, while the challenges from civil society remain unorganized because we know there are also ideas to do like civil disobedience, such as by rejecting to pay taxes or to do strikes. But I would say we don't have such a strong engagement for such actions. We don't have a solid workers union either. And besides, in the time of pandemic and in the context of uh, increasing polarization, these options will need more energies from the people. Some commentators have made a case that they see some kind of consolidation of social opposition in Indonesia in the last 12 months around the omnibus, around the Kapika, but you see it as continuing to be quite fractured and unorganized. Yeah, it's, it's actually a good momentum to, to understand the real problem in this country. So the, those advocacies is, is not pointless. It's actually a good progress in social movement. But I would say that actually civil society should keep opposing any attempts that distract democracy, like by consolidating the organized challenges. And we have to evaluate the way we organized our challenges. So far, the movement are leaderless and the organization is so fluid and fragmented. So it's hard to be considered as a threat to the interests that hijack democracy. And maybe revising election law is also not an easy task uh, if we want to participate directly in the power using alternative political vehicles. And as you were pointing out, a repressive campaign to put down the protests, um, you mentioned disinformation and an undermining constantly of the criticism. And, and I guess in the background here, isn't it right, Rafika, that you have uh, already quite repressive legislation there, which is being drawn on and acted on by law enforcement, including the electronic law. And there's been a kind of quietening of voices as a consequence. Do you see that having an impact? Yeah, so information and transaction ETL law is actually has been used very active to silence the critics, I guess. And uh, of course, it's affected the people movements and also the way the police respond, the student protesters also affected this movement, I guess. And it's in the middle of the COVID-19 outbreaks, it's getting worse, I think. The other thing, this is as you framed it from the outset, this is happening mm -hmm. in a time of pandemic where in Indonesia it's still very acute. 
I wanted to ask you a little bit about a piece that you wrote a little while ago, but, you know, really resonates here in what you're saying about President Joko Widodo himself and his character and his leadership of government. And you wanted to rebut this idea that Jokowi is a good person. You can correct me on my, my terminology. Yeah, I think since, well, the first term of presidency, people still put their trust to Jokowi as he displayed as separate from existing, uh, you know, powers like New Order Link age. Actually, it's actually not only Jokowi's problems because the process of degrading democracy also happened in the previous president. But in the Jokowi's term, this process has become more active, I guess, particularly when Jokowi emphasized his priority is to attract investment and economic growth. And it's actually also supported by polarization among society, where case of Ahok has made people respond to the Jokowi's as Orangbai. And it's also... Uh, reduce the criticism. But in the second term, Jokowi has been obviously shown that he has nothing to lose and he will do anything to his interests. So yeah, I think it's actually shows how the Indonesian problem is not, it's not actually who in the power because it's a problem of the democracy itself, I think. Do you think that those people who voted for Jokowi, many of them from civil society, you know, maybe changing their views of him? Yeah, it could be some switching from the Jokowi's followers, as can be seen in the media, but it actually not affects so much because we don't have any alternative so far. So as long as there are no powerful challenge to counter the existing power, I think it will not help a lot to challenge Jokowi. So it's going to be like normalized by the state, I think. Rafika, you mentioned that a letter was sent from the Director General of Education to university leaders trying mm-hmm. to, to persuade their students not to protest. Did they act? Did university leaders act on that or what was their response? Well, so far from universities, there are various responses, but mostly the institution responds as suggestion. But there are also challenges from academic alliance that protest this law. And it seems that uh, university students also continue to consolidate their protests to omnibus law. And we don't know what will happen, but the fact that the governments use their institution to suppress criticism will continue, I think. Mm -mm. But the students are still going to the streets along with unionists and the protests will continue. So from that, do you see anything positive? Like you're saying there's no chance legally really for review or revocation of this law but do you see something from the protests on the streets what does that tell you yeah i think it yeah it, it should be appreciated and it's also good for challenging the problems but i will say that this is not enough and this is still need more energy for people to challenge this anti-democratic forces well as we see the government have also responded such criticism with uh, very creative ways, not only using their institution, they also use social media. They also try to, how do you call it, like make people believe in 
their uh, narrative. Okay. Well, the challenges are huge. And thank God that you and your colleagues are out there informing the public about the substance of the law. And there are more battles coming, right, with the criminal code and other another contentious laws that keep you busy and everyone vigilant. So Rafika, thank you so much for coming along and joining me and speaking about this today. My pleasure, Gemma. Thank you. That was Rafika Kurata Ayun, a PhD candidate at the Centre for Indonesian Law, Islam and Society in the Melbourne Law School. She researches Indonesian criminal law with a particular focus on the politics of Indonesia's blasphemy law. Rafika is a member of the Department of Criminal Law at the Faculty of Law at the University of Indonesia, where she has taught since 2015. Talking Indonesia will return on the 3rd of December, hosted by Dirk Thompson. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode or find us via your favourite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now.